Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book Stones of Fire by Isabel Kuhn with permission of OMF International. We are reading Chapter 2, Stones in His Pocket. Any valuable gem must first be trimmed, cleared, or sawed into a suitable shape and size, and then cut into desired form and finely polished. This is written by Dr. Cairns, who's a gem expert to Tiffany and Company. And so the great quarry, finding the little stone of fire willing to leave her earthen bed, begins to trim and clear for lapidary work. This is a thrill to turn up the pages of encyclopedias and look at the photographs of some of the world's most famous gems as they were first found in their rock or native condition. Only the master's laboratory eyes could detect value in them. So with these tribespeople, only looking with Christ's eyes upon them, can one see possibilities upon which he may work. In the pages ahead, he's going to trim off some of that ignorance, wash off the mud of the heathen customs so long accepted as a part of life, clear off a bit of superstition, and place them under the running water of constant danger so that spiritual slothfulness may be removed. He has a finer work yet to do, but we must patiently go with him through all his preparations. All that autumn, each evening, the small group at Olives met in their chapel. At first, Homei tried to come also. She, so gifted and intelligent, could teach any part of the hymn, and not only knew as much Bible as her husband, but was also as good a writer. To find a Lesu girl equal in scholarship to any man in the church astonished third sister. The Lesu heathen always nearly said that women could not learn anything. Looking at Homei, Third sister realized that obviously this was not true, so gradually all her spare time was given up to reading her New Testament, memorizing Bible verses, and going over her soprano part in the anthem they were attempting to learn. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and the King of glory shall come in. They meant to sing this at Christmas, but before the day arrived, something else terrifying, thrilling, ominous took place. Thomas had been teaching them 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-19. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command. We will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Even the heathen heard of this wonderful expectation which the Christians had. It was a cloudy day and third sister was out in the mountains herding the family cows. And suddenly out of the sky came a great purring noise. She looked up but could see nothing yet the noise continued. It seemed to be moving west. It was not thunder. It was a sort of purr. But no cat on earth could purr so loud. And how could a cat get up there? A few minutes and it was gone. Silence. The last trumpet? Could it be? Had the Lord come and left her? Terrified, she began to run hither and yon to collect the cows and drive them home. On her way, she met another Christian carrying firewood. Oh, what a relief it was. And then it was not the Lord's coming, for this Christian was still here. Did you hear a great noise out in the sky, she called out? Yes, was the answer. What was it? I don't know. Let's go home and ask. So the two frightened girls sped over the long winding trail into Olives. Everywhere people were talking about it, but no one knew what it was. That evening, the little group in chapel anxiously inquired of Teacher Thomas. But when he did not know, I thought maybe the Lord had come, he said simply. So did we, sounded from Minnie. So did you, Shway, shouted Enoch. He came running up to me, threw his arms around my neck and held on and yelled, If he takes you, he's got to take me too. Say, I could hardly push him off. He held on so. But when the noise went away, he disappeared too. How everybody laughed, 
for Yu Shui was a backslider. There were some more laughs and sly looks, for others backsliders had decided to repent that afternoon and were now in the chapel the first time for months. The next afternoon, about the same time, the purr from the sky came again. It's a tiger demon, declared non-Christians, but this day there were no clouds and they saw it. It was moving across the sky. It had wings like a bird, only they did not go up and down, and a tail like a fish, and it purred like a tiger. Whatever could it be? Everyone in Lesu had dropped his work and stood with open mouth gazing into the sky. Only Teacher Thomas guessed all right. I guess it's the flying house that Mopa told us of, he said with shining eyes. People are inside it, but I don't know much about it. Wish I'd asked him more now. Those were the first two planes to fly over the hump. But from then on, as long as the war was with Japan lasted, flying houses were on a daily occurrence. Christmas was near and everybody wanted to go to Oak Flat Village so they could ask and hear about the flying house. How did it get up there? Could it come down again? And how did it find its way? There are no trails in the sky. Could it go on at night? Later they saw planes flying at night with green and red lights on the wings. Really, these white men are wonderful. There's nothing they cannot think up and do, and they confided to one another. That Christmas was third sister's first long trip away from home. She and second sister each had a new navy blue homespun dress woven and sewn by themselves and a new book bag with a dainty embroidery at the edges and cloth sandals embroidered with white. They had to carry their sleeping blanket and their food and each must bring a quart of rice or corn, a pound of pork and a few ounces of salt for the feast. Lucing had gone on ahead a day early, but Lucing Ma was going and third sister could stay close to her. Lucing Ma was very popular with the girls that year, and wise mother that she was, she knew why, but never let it be known that she did. She was anxious for her daughter-in-law because a daughter-in-law would give free labor on the farm and in weaving. Lucing was an only child now, since her two older ones had died. No nice girl would ever come near their shanty for fear of gossip, since two eligible young men were there. Now that Lucing had taken to Bible study and preaching, they had to hire his cousin Timothy to herd the cows gather firewood and help with the farm chores. Life is hard in the mountains. Arrival at the river bank drove off all but happy thoughts. They had to wait their turn until the ferry boat arrived. At Olives, they had a raft for crossing the Salween, and one sank to one's ankles in water. The plank rowboat was a veritable Queen Mary in Third Sister's eyes. While waiting for the current to swing the boat down to them, those who had brought lunches of cold, boiled rice ate them, and the boys showed their skill in stone-throwing. To be able to throw a stone across the Salween was an accomplishment. Lu Sing had done it, his mother declared proudly, which put the fellows on the metal, and Sosphines and one or two of the others made their stones tag on the rocks of the opposite shore to prove that they were not far behind him. Then with yells and shouts, the ferrymen threw out their long hooks and moored the boat up to the shore. Even so, the cross was formidable. When that swift midstream current caught the ferry, it trembled from bow to stern like a frightened little bird and was about as helpless. Third sister, having heard of the times this ferry had capsized and all aboard were drowned, she and the girls cowered down while Sosphines grabbed hold of the oar and threw his powerful weight upon it till it was shot down on the eastern bank and with shouts and cries was safely hooked to the shore. Then did not he tease and pretend by terrified glimpses that this was how Third Sister had looked until the whole merry party was in fits of laughter. Once over on the east bank, the little group took the small trail up to the road a thousand feet above their heads. 
That path is very steep, quite comparable to the attic staircase. But the only alternative would be the horse trail, which was hairpins back and forth in a long detour of at least an hour's traveling. There was not even debate in their minds which to take. The steep thousand feet would not be as wearying as the long detour. So up, up through the wild brush and the cornfields here and there, digging their bare toes into the soil for the firmer foothold they ascended. It was like a fly climbing a monstrous pail, for all above their heads towered mountain peaks, snow-crested with just a bit of blue sky showing at the top. A thousand-foot hill is a mere bump in that country. Up at the roadside, they all threw themselves down for a delicious stretch and relaxation. The canyon opened up more fully from here, and they could see the sandalwood flat village clinging to the slopes higher than they had on the mountains on the opposite bank. Turning their heads, they could see the golden bamboo village had a platter on end, sprawling all over the mountain to their right and at least 500 feet higher than they. Sosphines narrowed his eyes to gaze at the disappearing trail in an effort to discern if any of the golden bamboo Christians were in sight. A group must be certainly coming for Christmas. But not perceiving any, he turned to his lazy comrades and cried, Up with you! The sun is already high and we do not want to be the last to arrive. With good-natured talk and laughter, the others arose and were soon speeding along the trail south to the oak flat. Arriving at the last ascent, up on the rocks above their head was perched the lookout man, and soon bang-bang went a gun. Third sister winced. She had heard of those white men's weapons but did not enjoy being so close. This time, however, she was careful to keep her fears from Sosphine's sharp eyes. For here was Lucing running down the trail to meet them, shaking hands with each, talking to everyone as he did so. I've arranged for you girls to sleep in Mama's own house, he said. You follow me as soon as we're through the welcome arch, and I'll show you where to leave your things. We fellows will sleep in the servants' quarters. So saying, they arrived at the arch and lined up to be welcomed by song. As third sister went down the reception committee line, shaking hands, she noted a new form. There was a new Ma-Pa. Oh, yes, she remembered now. Lu Sing had said a new missionary had come. Brother Five, they were to call him. How big he was, like Ma Pa himself. Of course, he did not know how to speak Le Su yet, but here was Brother Three, always so kind, especially to women and children. So this little village was an oak flat, but ah, ba, ha, ba, ba, look how many Lu Si were there. Hundreds of them running up and down, chatting, staring, playing. Third sister felt shy and afraid for just a moment. Then a tall, strong form was at her side, and Lu Sing's comforting voice calmed her. This way, olive villagers, as I told you. And so, huddling up close to the familiar figures of her own hometown folk, the little girl found herself in the house of grace, in a side room away from the multitude. At Christmas time, everyone sleeps on the floor here, said Lu Sing. It's clean. Mama washes it every few days. She washes her floor. The girls looked at one another. How fussy foreigners were. Loosing floors were generations old and had never been washed since they were laid. Oh, what a lovely sound. It must be the noise box. Let's go and listen. And so fun went on. But something happened which nearly spoiled it all. Villagers of Old Olives were all together in a side room on the third evening, singing their anthems together, when Lu Sing entered looking hot and worried. He came close and spoke in a whisper that stilled everyone immediately. You girls go right away to the bed to Mama's house, and all keep close together tomorrow morning as you leave for home. This afternoon, while the open-air service was on, some heathen fellows were up on the ridge watching. 
second son of the T family, saw a second sister here and liked her. He has offered $50 to each of his crowd if they will help kidnap her tomorrow by on the way home. He says he's going to marry her by force. Second sister's lovely dark eyes dilated with fear, even while a flush of pleasure mounted to her forehead. To be selected from 800 Lucy as the as the prettiest one, that was a compliment to make anyone blush. But a forced marriage to a heathen? Oh, Lord, deliver her. The next moment her face was so scarlet she had to hide it behind tall Sarah, for the young men from Olives were storming with wrath. Steal one of our girls when we fellows are about. Just let them try. In another moment, heads were put together as they planned a guard on the journey home. Who should go first and who should go last? Until second sister was too embarrassed to say, Let's go to bed, she whispered, and like a flock of frightened sheep, the girls huddled together, scampered over to Mama's house, into the side room, and tightly barred the door. Now before they fell asleep, blessings of Christmas message and excitement of this new occurrence alternately filled their thoughts, a word as to the family history of these two sisters. That beauty should have been found in them was no surprise. Their mother was a noted beauty and had fallen into temptations which went with it. She had been married by her family to a man who was a, a stammerer, an affliction made more heavy by the fact that he was very in stupidus back character. Such a woman could never have loved such a man, and though divorce was too expensive to be contemplated, that was the usual way out. It was whispered in the village that Father Jayu was not the real father of any of his four children. First sister had been so attractive that the feudal lord asked for her as his concubine. The payment that Father Jayu would be forever exempted from government taxes of all kinds, and it was a revelation of his lack of character that he was quite pleased with the arrangement. But the first sister had lived only a year after that, and the Lord himself died in 1942. His son, of whom we shall hear a great deal in the pages ahead, inherited his father's office and lands. But still there was a tactic understanding that the Jehu family did not pay taxes. Such is the mire from which the greatest master, Lapidary, was planning to make jewels for his own crowns. 24th of January, 1941, Chinese New Year and a new kind of danger. In the mountains of the Salween Canyon, there was a sulfur springs, and the Lesu had discovered it produced health to bathe in them. So, for who knows how many centuries, it had been the custom at Chinese New Year that the one general holiday time to flock down from their mountaintop homes to these several hot springs by the riverside, and there to bathe and carouse. Wine flows freely, bowl licentious talk, and ribble laughter fill the air. Strange young men make free with the girls, and there's no place for a Christian. But Le Sulin, having no fairs or amusement parks, the excitement of the Hot Springs Festival had a tremendous pull. That particular year, Lu Sing was told that Second Sister and some others not strong in the faith were planning to go. Immediately called the deacons together to discuss what they could offer the young Christian young people for that particular week to counteract this attraction of Satan's. There was not much choice in Le Sulin. A Bible study week with some interesting song. Could Mama come and teach them? Unfortunately, she was not free, she replied. Nor could Ma Pa or Brother Three come. Both were already promised elsewhere. But the new missionary, Brother Five, might come. He was only learning to speak Lesu as yet, yet, but he spoke Chinese well. Gaius could come down from Sandalwood Flat Village and interpret for him. Brother Five said he would be glad to come. And so it was arranged. Two olive brothers went down to carry Brother Five's bedding. An arch was built, and on the appointed day, the tall, young Canadian missionary was sung through and under it. 
A new missionary is always of interest, but this one had brought a Hawaiian guitar with him and a new song that Mama had composed for the occasion. Oh, friend, come to the church on the mountains. Brother Five had been a quartet singer at home and a second tenor to a new harmony to lay Sue ears. So after he taught them the soprano, the new missionary can learn to read Lesu long before they understand it, what they are reading. While they were singing, he accompanied them on the guitar and sang second tenor. The lovely sighing of the instrument and the missionary's voice soaring over theirs. Come, 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 come. Well, second sister and the others forgot all about the hot springs and attended every meeting. At the end of the week, it was hard to say which had enjoyed the time together more, Brother Five or the young people of Olives. They had been mutually blessed. Mama was eagerly awaiting the report of how things were going over on the West Bank. We had a wonderful time, the young missionary had said enthusiastically. Aren't they a grand bunch? They enjoyed the Bible study and quite fell in love with the song. They have had four points memorized and are singing everywhere. I heard it from the cornfield far down the mountain on the way home. And can't they pray? Those girls. But those girls don't pray, interrupted Mama. That's been our big trouble over there. Last year, they just dissolved into giggles at the very thought of praying in public. Well, they do not now. Lucing and Jonah are very strict as to conduct in chapel, and I did not hear any giggling in the prayer time. Quite a few stood up each day and prayed. The news that the Japanese had bombed Pashan brings the war closer to home, and the girls are praying, I can assure you. So this crisis passed, and the little stones down in his deep pocket had felt again the sweetness of the touch of his hand. In May, there was another keeping took place. A hot afternoon was in prospect. The sun had risen high in a cloudless sky when there was a terrible roar and the earth shook until the pots all rattled. All afternoon, ominous rumbles and belches of smoke to the north and south alarmed them. And that evening, when the little group gathered in chapel, there were stories to hear. One of the boys had been visiting Sandalwood Flat, a Christian village, the first mountain to the south of Olives. There had been a mighty landslide there. I was on the trail about to start home, he said, and there was a fellow hoeing a field about 500 feet beneath us. A huge slice of our mountain shot off from the earth, quaked. We yelled, but there was not time. We saw the fellow throw up his arms as if yelling for help, and then he was buried alive. You couldn't dig him out. Just about the whole ridge is on top of him, and the earth is still loose and sliding. There's a big crack in the crown rock at Sandalwood, and there are rumblings coming out of it and smoke coming all the time. What is inside the mountain that could smoke? Does anyone know? No one knew. Some say an earthquake is caused by a dragon inside the mountain turning over. But where was Lucing? Lucing was out preaching. He was due to be on the road coming home. Then, oh, what a chorus of praises ascended to God when Lucing walked into the chapel, safe and sound. He had much to tell. He estimated some 40 had been killed up north, but not one Christian. Stories of the earthquake kept coming in for some days. The heathen said, it's God's judgment on us for our sins, and opportunities for preaching were excellent. But soon another danger swept that one from memory. Last winter, an order had come, compelling all the canyon to plant opium. That did not concern Third Sister much, because their fields were so low in altitude that opium could not thrive. The officials knew that and automatically exempted them. But the Lesuit Church? It was against the church rules to plant or trade or have anything to do with opium. So the Christians just refused the opium seed and planted wheat and potatoes as usual. 
but now as an opium commissioner had appeared at Lu Chang, the county seat, to collect a tax on the opium, and the Lord was trying to collect the tax from the Christians too, even though they had not planted. Ma Pa was away on a trip, but Brother Three sent Lu Sing to call the deacons over to the consultation meetings at Oak Flat. How anxiously the little group at Olives prayed in the evening and awaited the return of their deacons. Rainy season Bible school had already started, and this year five of their boys were over at the Oak Flat studying. Lucing, Menorah, Gideon, Enoch, and Jason. Thomas could not go yet because Homei was very sick. The situation had become more serious, since the officials were threatening to drive off the cattle of any Christians who did not pay. At last Monday evening arrived, and Bonerjees stood up to give their report. The deacons from all over the canyon had met and decided three things. First, to pay the tax if necessary, but on no account to plant opium. Second, to ask Mama to write a letter of appeal to the president of China in the name of the Lei Su Church. president was supposed to be a Christian, so if he said to pay, they would do it. But in their own opinion, it was that he knew nothing of this. Thirdly, to call the whole Lei Su Church to a day of fasting and prayer on June the 8th. They had a good meeting, and all were one in the heart in the matter, and the rainy season Bible school was the largest yet, over 40 enrolled, two of them coming far away from Gumu in Burma. How the tongues flew that night. Everyone was excited and thrilled. Everyone had the full confidence that the president would put an end to this persecution. June 8th was the next Sunday. All right, but how did one go about fasting and praying for a whole day anyway? So they discussed it long into the night. Before Sunday, however, another matter had to occupy their thoughts. That Friday, the suffering little Lesu Mama had entered into peace. Third sister was hardly out of bed when she heard the funeral song being sung up the mountain. When Jesus returns, we shall meet again. Quickly she ran up to the trail to Thomas Shanty. It was full of Christians, wet-eyed but quiet. Lucy Pa was getting out his own coffin, and the deacons were discussing a place for the grave. There were no undertakers or coffin merchants, so death anywhere involved the whole village where it occurs. For this reason, wealthy people get their coffins made ahead of time and often have their graves dug also. One old deacon in another village takes great pleasure in passing his own empty grave every Sunday on the way to church and consequently points out to his friends the Bible verse he has written in black on its whitewashed front. And so it was, generous of Lu Sing Pa to offer his own coffin for it would have taken days to make one. Third sister pushed past into the house, and Thomas was there, his eyes red and swollen. Baby John tied on his back, and Homely lay in peace. She was so wasted she seemed to have had shrunk to a child's size, but her face was serene. Third sister's tears overflowed, and Lu Sing Ma was crying unashamed. She was only thirty, she murmured. She had not lived her days to the full, not to the full. But there was much to do. The grave must be dug, and then granite slabs chiseled out of the carf to cover the coffin hole and the pig kill to feed the workers. Everyone helps, of course, and the only wage is a free meal. The girls could help pound rice or corn and cook it and carry water, so third sister slipped back home and made arrangements with her father to be set free for that one day in order to do her share. By nighttime, all was finished, and the dear one was laid away. Thomas was now free to proceed to the rainy season book school. Lucy Ma offered to care for little John, but Thomas shook his head. Thank you, not now. He is all I have left, and I cannot bear to lose him right now. 
So with his baby on his back, the next morning the young father left for Oak Flat, and the little group at Olive said sadly to one another, Will we never again have a teacher every night in the week? Let's meet anyway. I'm coming every night, said Third Sister, instinctively feeling that loosing would have it so. I'll come too, said another, and then one, and so the whole young group kept together. One thing was eagerly anticipated, a communion weekend, the first Sunday in each month. There would be some rainy season Bible students come and speak to them, and maybe the next time it would be Lu Sing. It was. Oh, the meeting was always so good when Lu Sing led. He said he was so proud of them that he had not given up their nightly meetings just because they did not have a teacher and he drew a schedule for them of writing and reading and conducting and singing that they could study themselves. Third sister's heart sung with joy, and she inwardly vowed that she would never miss a meeting unless she was sick, a vow which she kept all her days. Even though Lu Sing had to leave again in Monday, he had been a cool breeze on a hot, muggy day. You felt as if you had received new life to go on, and so the summer passed. We're going to stop here, and we'll, we'll read next time about what happens with the opium. I love you, I'm praying for you, and bye-bye for now.